Don't let your charisma, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality, don't let your charisma outrun your character. So what is the Spirit of God interested in in times of renewal and revival? Your character. start today by throwing a few things up on the screen. This is the first one right here. What is this? It's a, okay, I got, I, got, I got conflicting reports right now. I got someone saying slow down. I got some, some, some see a yield sign, right? Suggestion, rolling stop. Uh, but what, what is this? It's a stop sign. What, is, what does this indicate? Why though? Why would you stop? Because you're at an intersection, right? It indicates you're at an intersection. You need to stop. Okay, next sign, next sign. What is this? Now, when I was a teenager, this meant something different. When I was a teenager, this meant jump ahead. I remember getting Ford Aerostar van my buddy and I, we put, he had, a, he had a Dodge Charger and he had racing slicks. And so we put racing slicks on the back of the Aerostar van. It looked stupid and it rubbed the fenders like crazy because we didn't do anything. And we drove and I remember jumping a nice big speed bump by Kings Park in Winnipeg. But what is this? Speed bump ahead, right? This is indicating that you better slow down because you're coming up onto a speed bump. Okay, next one. What is this? Obstruction or hazard to the right. Very good. Very, very good. What's this one? If you're a motorcyclist, you know exactly what this means. You're about to hit into a gravel road. The pavement's going to end. You're going to hit gravel. Now, if you're driving a dual sport, that's fine. If not, you turn around and go the other way. All right, next one. Narrow bridge ahead, right? You're about to come up to a narrow bridge. You're going to have to watch kind of if you're a bigger vehicle, you need to be very aware of this. Narrow bridge ahead. All right. If you're taking notes, I want you to write something down because this is important. I really truly believe that this is important. We need to, in seasons, as we anticipate revival, we need to understand this. A sign does not point to itself. It's an indication of something else, right? A sign does not point to itself. It's an indication of something else. Now, renewal or revival, I say those two words. Those are loaded words, aren't they? Renewal, revival. What comes to your mind? A new beginning? What do you picture when you picture and think of renewal and revival in the context of the church? Now, I grew up in a bit of a charismatic movement. Not Pentecostal. We weren't classically Pentecostal. We were much more on the charismatic side of things. So I grew up, when I think of revival, I have this kind of thing etched into my brain of what that looks like. It looks a little crazy. 
It looks like altars full of people and people falling down and those little like blanket things that you put on people and catchers and all sorts of stuff. That, that's, just, that's just naturally when I think of revival, that's what I think of because I grew up in a context where that was considered revival. People prophesying left and right, sometimes on top of each other. Everybody kind of praying in tongues at the same time, like prayer tunnels and fire tunnels. You remember all that stuff? You, 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 some of you are looking like, yeah, I remember. I remember that. And some of it was great. Some of it was so full of the Spirit, and some of it was so full of the flesh. And so what is revival? I remember going to school. I went to a very charismatic school down in Dallas, Texas, called Christ for the Nations Institute. Still there. And I remember they had a guest speaker come in. And I, I just so profoundly remember this guy. I'm like, this guy is a hype artist. Like, he just was. He was a hype guy. He just got everybody hyped up. And he was dealing with a bunch of young people. And so they were just, everyone was just getting super hyped. And I remember, instead of doing an altar call, like down at the altar, he did it up on the stage so it was elevated so everybody could see what was happening. And this guy was pushing people over left, right, and center. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Who's ever seen a preacher come into town and start pushing people? Because they're looking for that really good revival moment, right? Because it's not a revival unless people are falling over. And I remember the Lord kind of speaking to my heart because he was dealing with me with just completely different issues. I had a whole different thing going on. But I needed to respond just based on those things. Not for prayer, but I remember going up there. And I remember this guy, I could see him coming. And he was like five foot nothing. And I'm six foot six. And I remember as he got closer, this is my stance when he came to pray for me. And I stood over this little man and I said, I dare you to push me over. <laughs> like, I was not getting pushed over by this little guy. But sometimes, we are so focused and so, we just want those signs of revival. Those really cool moments. That if we're not careful, we manufacture and we create and we hype up and we manipulate and we try to create culture, a revival that is empty. I remember as a kid, I remember watching people hit the ground, get up, and live Monday through the next Sunday as the worst human being. And even as a kid, I remember, that's not right. That's not revival. That's not renewal. There's got to be something more. But I've also witnessed quiet moments. They don't have to be loud. They don't have to be boisterous. Of the worst human beings having an encounter with Jesus and becoming something so different. So what is revival? What is renewal? 
I once had a conversation. I won't say who. It was in this church and in this town. And I remember sitting over coffee, Lisa and I with this couple, and they were sharing just the history of God moving in this church. There's some exciting things that happened and transpired, and I don't want to take away from any, but I remember, I'll never forget the end of that conversation, nearing the end of that conversation. They said something that hit me like a ton of bricks. They said, Lucas, Lisa, out of all the people that came to faith through that time of renewal and revival, only a handful are still serving Jesus. And I couldn't help but think, Lord, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Like, what are we seeking? What are we pursuing as a church? Because we've seen movements of the Spirit Mixed with movements of the flesh. By the way, you don't have revival without mess. If you're looking for clinical revival, that's not coming. It's just not. You're going to have revival of the spirit mixed with carnal flesh stuff. Because a revival of the spirit is dealing with human beings that are broken. So what does revival that lasts look like? I believe that God is stirring something in our hearts in the last little while. I've had so many conversations with you. God is stirring just a desperateness for more. A desperateness, a, a holy discontent, if you will. A seeking, a searching. And I believe that signs and wonders follow those that believe. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I also believe in our profound ability as human beings to miss the deeper work in exchange for the fireworks. A sign does not point to itself. So let's ask the question then, what then is revival? What is renewal? What is revival? The Oxford Dictionary has a great definition of just the word itself. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. So let, let's put this into a Christian context. As I was studying for today, I came across, uh, it was an anonymous kind of writing. But I love the way they defined revival. Because it was so kind of holistic in the way they approached it. The writer said, revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for his word and his church. A convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin. A spirit of humility. And a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. Revival 
invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to the truth in a fresh way, new way. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate, marking a new beginning of life lived in obedience to God. This is revival. This is revival at its very core. It breaks the charm and the power of the world, which blinds the eyes of men and generates both the will and the power to live in the world, but not of the world. Revival at its core is the renewal of relationship with God through Jesus, his son, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. This is revival. This is renewal. And the greatest sign verifying revival is changed people in love with Jesus. Can I say that again? The number one sign of revival in the church is changed people in love with Jesus. It's not blowing. It's not people falling over. It's not sobs and, and crying. It's not. The number one sign is changed people in love with Jesus. Bible looks like the number one miracle, the greatest outcome a revival can pr produce is changed people. It's changed people. Whatever that looks like, however we get there, however the Spirit chooses to do that in His church, that is the goal. That is the main thing. Changed people in love, in love with Jesus. A sign doesn't point to itself. So I hope we can agree on that. I hope that that can be a main thing premise for us as we move forward. Amen? Are you with me? Okay? I'm not poo-pooing all the other stuff. Don't worry. I believe Spirit can do miraculous things. I believe that He receipts. He, he gives proof of His moving with the works of the Spirit, with miracles, with wonders and signs that show the world that this is legit. I believe that. But at its core, revival is changed people in love with Jesus. Okay, so with that established, let's change gears. Let's get into the exciting stuff, the fun stuff, the work of the Spirit in seasons of revival and renewal. You know, the stuff where the Holy Spirit empowers His church to do these kind of exciting things. You know what I'm talking about? When it comes to revival, the kind of stuff that changes lives, that shapes culture, that, that bears like big time fruit in the life of believers. Let's talk about the slow and tedious and sometimes painful work of the Spirit in growing fruit in His people. 
Now, you thought I was going to get into all the crazy stuff. No, no, that's later. That's, that's not even the main thing yet. We're not even there. Next step, change people in love with Jesus. What does that look like? Those pursuing the things of God, what does that look like? What does renewal look like in the life of the believer? Does it look like crazy stuff? Speaking out in tongues in church finally, maybe prophesying in the assembly? No, no, no. First thing, don't, like, don't let your charisma, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality, don't let your charisma outrun your character. So what is the Spirit of God interested in in times of renewal and revival? Your character, your heart, your soul. Changing your mindset, changing your attitudes. We see this written and contrasted by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. The acts of the flesh, the carnal nature, the sin nature, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, worshiping other things other than God, putting things of value over the things of God. And witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, disunity among people, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives us the alternative. Then he shows us what is of renewal. What is of a revival in the human being and in the human heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance. We've talked a lot about forbearance in the last little while. Another way of saying that is long-suffering. That's in relationship. Forbearance with one another. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Crucified means kill, execute, asphyxiate the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul, he, he contrasts the ways of the flesh with the ways of the Spirit. Revival at its core is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in his people. It's not evidenced by chandelier swinging. Or holy rolling. I'm just trying to hit all the stereotypes, friends. Forgive me, I'm just trying to hit these stereotypes. We're Pentecostal, by the way. 
But sometimes the Pentecostals, we need to shake off a little bit of the weird. Revival at its core is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit growing in the lives of believers. Changed people. Changed how? Away from the works of the flesh into the things of the Spirit. New attitudes, new value systems, new mindsets, new worldview, new paradigm. And this is for two reasons. Number one, they are desperate to know God. Why do we walk in this? Because there's a lot of rules in Christianity? Is that why we walk in it? No, no. We walk in it because we're trying to remove any barrier that stands between us and the presence of God. And we know God is holy. When we have these moments of revelation, these moments of revival, we get glimpses of his glory and his holiness and his goodness. And in those moments and in those glimpses, we become undone in and of ourselves. And we realize our deep need for a Savior. And so we begin to repent. We begin to change. We begin to pick up new things and new ways of living. Because we want to know him intimately. And we put off anything that gets in the way. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had somebody share during our pre-service prayer. And I loved, it just so stood out to me. I love the sentiment and the heart position this individual took. I didn't talk to them, so I'm not going to call them out by name. But they brought a prayer request that their back had gone out. And they were struggling. They were struggling with their back. And the prayer request went like this. Hey, everybody, my back is out. I would love prayer for healing... But it didn't end there. But God is teaching me so much in this season and in this moment. I don't want to miss what he has for my soul. I'm paraphrasing. So seeking healing for the physical body, because he was in pain, but I don't want to miss. I don't want my healing of this physical body to come unless I learn and grow in the things in my soul that need to grow in. You know what that is? You know what that says to me? That there's something of revival happening in this individual. That at the cost of pain in the body, they're willing to endure, to learn and to know and to experience Jesus in a deeper way. These are the things of revival. Nothing in the way. Nothing, get out of the way. Every circumstance, everything, every sin, every wrong attitude, get out of the way because I want to know God. This is what revival produces in the person. Number two, the second reason the fruit of the Spirit becomes so key is we become a sign that points to Jesus. We become one who points to Jesus. And so we have these encounters and these intimate moments and these growth moments and the fruit of the Spirit is becoming evident. And what did Paul say? Paul created a contrast between the ways of the 
flesh are obvious, he says. They're obvious. We see them everywhere. But here are the ways of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being produced in the believer's life, who's on fire and being changed and is in love with Jesus. That goes out into the world and it contrasts. You can't help it, friend. You can't help it. When you're alive with Christ in you, you can't help but be contrasted to the world. And some will be repelled by that, but others will be attracted. And they will see you and they'll go, what in the world is going on with you? Because you have way too much peace, way too much joy, way too much hope, way too much kindness, way too much gentleness. You forbear way too long. What is going on with you? And in that moment, in that moment, a sign doesn't point to itself. The believer in Christ, the one changed by his power, becomes a sign to the world that Jesus changes everything. Friends, no matter what comes, no matter what the next move of God looks like, we have to keep these main things the main thing. When you think of revival, your priority is this. Change people. Change people in love with Jesus and growing in love with Jesus. This is the number one thing. The alternative to this, and this is my fear, because we have movements, we have movements even today in the church that have made so much of revival culture. Where revival culture has become the main thing. And my fear is this. Matthew 16, 4, he speaks to the religious rulers of the day. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. I wonder for too long if, this, if the church has been looking for a sign instead of looking to Jesus. What's the sign of Jonah? Well, the sign of Jonah is two things here. Earlier in chapter 12, uh, he expounds on this. This is a repeat, and he expounds on it. He says, because Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, and then he went on his mission, contrasting Jesus being in the ground for three days and then being raised again, sending his church on mission. But it also speaks to what Jonah brought to Nineveh. What did Jonah bring to Nineveh? Sorry? Call to repentance. He brought a message from God calling that city to repentance. That's what Jonah brought. That was the sign. Repent and be baptized. The words of Peter, first sermon. We don't seek a, sign, a revival of signs. We seek a revival of renewed, passionate, and desperate relationship with God. And to seek the sign is to miss the one the sign points to. 
Now I pray and I hope and I, I know that God is going to raise up his church in moments to reveal his power and his glory. But it's to reveal the Son. It's always to reveal the Son. To lift up Jesus. A sign does not point to itself. So does this mean there's no place for signs and wonders in today's church? No, of course not. That's not what we're saying here. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But signs and wonders are not the main thing. They're just not the main thing. They serve a purpose. They serve an end. But the end is Jesus. The Apostle John sets this tone beautifully in John 20, 30, 31, when he kind of breaks down what his point was when he wrote this gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. A lot happened. We're not against signs. Jesus performed a lot of signs. But these are written. I chose these. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you may have life in his name. This is the mission signs point to. I open today by kind of talking briefly about revival moments that, you know, had big, exciting kind of fireworks, but very little fruit long term. Yet we all know of moments in the history of the church when God moved and revival broke out, which made way to kind of movements that live on to this day. How many know that Evangel Church, as a part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, was a part of a Pentecostal movement that was sparked by a revival that came out of Azusa Street? Did you know that? We are part of, and this is where we get it wrong so often. We're not part of an institution. We're not part of a, 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 a church kind of just body, tradition. We're part of a movement. We're part of a movement. We're going somewhere. We had this catalytic moment of revival that sparked something in the hearts and the minds of people who left that moment of being filled and empowered and touched by God in a way that they gave up their entire lives for a movement of the gospel going out into the world. So before we get into all the crazy, all the signs, all the wonders, this is the third main thing. Revival will always impact people in a way that sparks them to the movement of the commission of the mission of the church. Show me a revival that does not impact the world around it. And I'll show you fireworks that mean nothing. But there are these moments and places where God stirs his church. He recaptures hearts. And the greatest mark of those kind of revivals is people become missional. They become missional. They don't remain insular, but they scatter to the world. So who does God bring revival to? 
to be honest, I don't understand. Like, I wish I had a really good formula for this. Like, there's a few key things we know. We know that revival is typically sparked in places where people become desperate. People repent of their sins. When I say repent, I don't mean, like, say I'm sorry with tears. I mean, they turn 180 degrees under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and change the way that they live and all of it comes where people become desperate in prayer, in the waiting, in the presence of Jesus. It often comes in a new generation, which is interesting when you look at the tradition of revival across time. But I wish it was just that simple. Because God in his sovereignty, he seems to create these moments in the history of humanity where renewal and revival comes in a way that doesn't just impact the church, but begins to become an awakening for society. Those are the kind of revivals that last, that change the very fabric of the world around them. If we're praying for revival, let's pray for that. So what do we repent of? Well, God gives John a revelation and he speaks to the seven churches. And I just think this is so interesting. What I would like to do here today is I would like to read these moments of the seven churches. Now, not all of them, not all of them had bad news. Some of them were commended. But a lot of them had some bad news about the state of the church, the state of their heart the state of where they were at. In Revelation 2, 4 to 5, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Who remembers those moments of new love? I'm talking like in this world, like with people. Right? The butterflies, the flutters, the... You'll do everything you can, right? Time and space doesn't matter. You'll talk on the phone for eight hours straight, and it feels like one. You know what I'm talking about? This is what we're talking about here. He says, return to your first love. Return to those moments when you had an encounter with Jesus and he changed your life forever. Return to your first love. And so, Lord, today, if we've lost our love, we repent. Would you forgive us? And Holy Spirit, take us on a journey back to first love kind of love. Revelation 2.10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, he says. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here he speaks to the suffering church, the persecuted church. By the way, this is not us. Not yet. This is not us. But there are church 
experiences in this world where this is, and we're to pray for them, the suffering and persecuted church. Lord, we ask for renewal and revival among those that are desperate, those who are counting the ultimate cost of following you. Holy Spirit, renew and revive them, we pray. Be with them. Be their safeguard. In Jesus' name. Revelation 2, 14 to 16. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What's the sword of the mouth? Truth. He speaks to the church that compromises truth with the ways of the world. The philosophies, the teachings, the paradigms, the worldviews. He says, I have this against you. So Holy Spirit, you forgive your church. These moments, we allow the world to influence our paradigm, our worldview, our philosophies, our way of living. But we've allowed the teachings of the world to justify sin. Spirit of truth, speak loudly in your church today. In Jesus' name. Revelation 2.20 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. In some ways, this is the same, but also the sin of tolerating false teachers in the church. I, I would say in a capital C way, we've done a lot of this in the West. We've tolerated false teaching in the church. So Holy Spirit, forgive us. Jesus, forgive us. You are our truth. The word of God, the scriptures, Lord, you speak truth over your church. We tune to you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We repent of the influence of those who speak falsely of the gospel. Capture our hearts with your truth again in Jesus' name. Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. In a lot of ways, I, I, I really believe that this speaks to the church 
that has turned their way to a social justice gospel that's very much about just simply good works in the community, doing good things, doing the right things. But their works are unfinished. Why? Because they're not motivated by a deep revelation of Jesus, a deep love of God. They don't come out of something deeper than simply going through the motions of being perceived as good and right. Lord, we repent of posturing. Lord, give us a picture of you and your love that compels us to good works. (laughs) Not as a calculated PR thing. Not as pretense. But as a matter of responding to your love. In Jesus' name. We ask the worship team to come. As they come, I want to close our time with this thought. Like I said, I wish there was just a formula to the moving of the Spirit. But here's the reality. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. His plans, his thoughts, he knows what he's doing. So our job is to trust. Our job is to be expected. Our job is to be growing in personal revival. We don't manufacture revival. Revival, in a lot of ways, is our response to what the Spirit initiates. Just like faith, just like coming to Jesus, we didn't initiate that. You did not initiate your salvation. He did. Revival's the same way. We don't initiate revival. He initiates revival. But we can be expected. We can begin to read the signs along the way in this journey of faith. Signs that point us back. We've had a few even this year. Prophetic words that have challenged us. Stirrings of the Spirit in individuals. By the way, revival's not dead, friends. Like, when we talk about revival, sometimes we need to differentiate. Revival, corporate revival, sometimes can be dead. Like, sometimes when we come together, I don't know if you've been in this room. There have been moments where I've been in this room, and I'm like, we're all doing the right thing. We're all singing the songs. We're all praying, but it's dead. Like, let's just call it what it is. I I don't want to pretend. We're not pretending here. Like there's moments when it's just dead. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. But in the midst of that, there are people that are having their personal revival. And I know even in this season of people, you're sitting here today and the Spirit has been doing something in your heart and your mind. He's been pursuing you in a way that you can't help but to just simply react and to respond 
with love and grace and growth and you're just feeling overwhelmed by the Spirit. There's other of you here today, you need a revival. You need a personal revival. And so here's what I'm believing for you today. That for those of you having personal revival, that there'd be a moment where that would bubble over into the corporate place. Some of you are so full of the Spirit right now, you need to just pour out. You need opportunities to pour out on others. Because that's the whole point. Why do we have overflow? Why do we have overflow of the Spirit in times of revival? It's not for us. It's for those around us. It's to be a blessing. It's to reveal Jesus. So let's stand together. And I have no idea how to do this. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Some of you here, you, you are members of this church. You're trusted. You know, you know who you are. I want to give you opportunity to minister. This is going to get a little bit messy, a little bit weird. Not weird, but just messy. Logistically. There's some of you here, the Holy Spirit's been doing something. You're, you got some overflow. You got some overflow that you need to give away. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you're here and you kind of feel a little dead inside, that's okay. Like you want to have, you want to have this spark, this catalytic initiation of the Holy Spirit in your life to just start stirring something, to start changing something, to start giving you a revelation of God. You're hungry for that. You just, you just don't know how to get there or what to do or how to take that next step. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be courageous. I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to step forward into this altar. Do it now. You know who you are. Do it now. Do it now. Come step into this. Come step into this. You want a move of God in your life. You're hungry for that. You're longing for that. Come step into that.